Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Modern Australian Underground. I'm Christina Papp, and on the show today, I'll be having a conversation with Rich Stanley and Jake Robertson. Rich started making music in the early 90s, playing in different sorts of bands such as the Onyas and more recently the Ooga Boogers and running art records here in Melbourne. Jake joined Rich running art records in the last seven or so years, around the same time they started making music together, doing the band Drug Sweat, ACDC cover band The Akadakas, and now working on a new project with Graham Cleese from Annihilation Time and Lecherous Gaze. Jake also has been, or currently is in, a number of other bands, such as his solo project Alien Nose Job, Smarts, Hero Fence, Hardcore Band Swab, School Damage, Leather Towel, and the recently defunct Oz Mutants. I really want to talk to both of them together to get an idea of their different experiences moving to Melbourne, playing in punk and rock bands, and how they got into the different creative outlets they do, as well as local music that has inspired them and kept them going, collaborating with each other over the last 10 years, as well as getting a few funny stories of tours and shows that have happened along the way. Keep listening as I talk to Jake and Rich here on the Modern Australian Underground.
just to get the ball rolling, maybe do you guys want to tell me your name and then um, what you're currently up to right now in a creative capacity? Uh, well, my name's Richard Stanley. <laughs> um, uh, creatively, currently in a band with Jake called... Uh, well, we don't really have a name. We're just an instrumental band sort of working things out. Is that the one with Rich? Uh, with um, Graham? Graham yeah, and, Jake, and yeah. Kirk. Are uh, you, it's definitely got to be the Stingers, right? The Stingers. Or the Piston Stingers. stingers yeah. Ah, cool. So yeah. you're going to name it after Graham's guitar, guitar company. Yeah. What happened to um, Dr. Blood? Well... He's not sure he wants to keep that name. Yeah. I'm not sure I want to keep that name. <laughs> I, I'm not a, the biggest fan I'm, of that name. I'm fine with Dr. Blood, but, you know, we could go Professor Blood. <laughs> <laughs> they were called something else before that, right? They were go- going to be called Frozen Creature. I'm into Frozen Creature. What oh, no, thinking? actually, no, sorry, sorry. That's something... the Skids. The Skids was going to uh, be called Frozen oh, Creature. Really? I think they might be changing it to that, yeah. All oh, right. Because there's another Skids and there's legal suit, oh, lawsuits really? pending. Oh, really? Are you serious? Uh, so dumb. Do you remember when that happened with um, the Ooga Boogers at that flip out? So, yeah, the when Johanna, Johanna was doing all the publicity for that flip out festival, um, there was a like a web design Company. They were like a they were like a kids clothing company. Well, kids or company, yeah, yeah. They did graphic design, all sorts of stuff. They're around right. the corner from my house. Oh, right. And they're called Ooga Booga with an exclamation mark. Wait, it's mark. them in Thornbury. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> right. And so they they issued a cease and desist. Yeah. Saying you can't promote this band for your festival called Ooga Boogas. So we changed our name to The Doors. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when I moved into the neighbourhood, our second album it was a few. It was like 2013, about five years later, and I, I saw that shop. And our second album had just come out, and I said, "Oh, we went into the shop, and I said to the guy, oh, are you the store that like that band sued to try and get you to change your name?'" And he was like, "No, no, we 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 have the name, we have the copyright on the name, we asked them to change their name." And I was like, "Oh, really? Well, they're still going. They're called Ooga Boogers. They've got a new album out. It's all over Triple J." And what he got did he, he got his, he got his nose out of joint, and I sort of walked out. I think he knew Whatever. I was fucking with him. So anyway, you're doing the band together. Are you doing anything else at the moment? Uh, finishing off the well, the Ooga Boogers have changed their name to Power Supply, and we're just finishing off the, f- the first Power Supply album. Ah, cool. We recorded it last year in September, and it's just taken a long time. It through. was the um, just before they recorded it. There was the death of the Ooga Boogers show at, uh, at the Toad. Yeah, yeah. And we announced our new name by all wearing Power Supply T-shirts. Ah, cool. Sort go. of cool, but <laughs> <laughs> it's it's very Power Supply. What about you, Jake? I've just been doing alien nose job stuff in my bedroom at the moment and um, starting to have band practice again, uh, swab with yourself yeah. and the Stingers or Dr. Biston with, uh, with Rich. And um, we had a smarts one last night from first time since maybe May or something. Right. Um, so that album is great, by the way. Cheers. Yeah. Yeah, happy with how it turned out. And it's cool um, that it came out off Feel It as well in the States. Yeah, for sure. Sam did a bang-up job. And, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, what else have I been doing? I just recorded an album with Mikey in um, in Thornbury a couple of weeks ago. Is and, that for Alien Nose Job? Yeah. And I don't know. Korea, I've just been like packing orders at SoundMatch, really. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I think personally I'm a very big homebody person anyway and i kind of like to lock myself in a room and make uh weird little noises yeah so well the problem is you play in so many bands that you like being a homebody but you're out most nice playing shows right yeah and that i hope i can i'm not really um i am looking forward to like seeing people again and like 
going to a show, but I'm not really, I don't really care about playing a show in, in the foreseeable future, <laughs> but it will probably happen soon. So you guys are doing like this Stingers band together, but you haven't played live. The last live band you played in together, was that the Dackers? Or Drug Sweat, maybe? Drug Sweat did a show, I think in February. With the Gutter Girls launch, maybe? Oh, no, that was last year. With Rot TV? Yeah, we did that one with Rot TV and Shove. We did that other show with um, Cash Out, this Ah. 11-year-old or 12-year-old rapper. Really? Yeah, the Grace Darling. He he had just messaged the Totes saying, look, I want to... I remember that. Yeah, I want to... How was that? Cash Out was fantastic. He was amazing. His parents were there. Didn't he ask for... Didn't he ask... He's he's sort of just like he's... (laughs) He, you know, he doesn't. He's twelve years old, right? He's, he's got yeah. this idea that I'll play, you know, and I get I'll play one it. song for a hundred dollars, and I'll play two songs for like a hundred eighty. Are you serious? No, I'm pretty sure it was a lot. Like he had added zero onto that, I think. <laughs> but I, I said, look, you know, I, this is actually not sort of how it works. We can put you on a bill and we split the cash and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Um, I can't offer you a show at the time, but my my band Drugsweat has a show coming up, and if you'd like to play, you'd be most welcome. And he did. He did, yeah. He came along and he he had the backing track. He did a cover of Juice World, and then he um he was upstairs with Grace Darling, and he, his parents were there, and he made them go downstairs <laughs> while he performed. But they sort of snuck up to the top of the snares, and I was like, "Look, you can just p- poke your head around there." Yeah, car. yeah. Well, that's cute. So maybe moving it back a little bit. If that was Drug Sweat, what, like is Drug Sweat the first band you guys were in together? Yeah. And when did that when did that happen? Little band April. Yeah, April 2014, shortly after I'd started booking the tote. Yeah. yeah. But you guys met before, like a while before that. Yeah. 2011. We, yeah. I you really we, know your dates. Yeah. I reckon we first met at Wooly Bully. At Wooly oh, Bully, yeah. Or even the Gasso. I Maybe think, it was the Gasso. Yeah. With when, John and Mitch who ran yeah. Wooly Bully. Yeah, yeah. And John was in Leather Tail with Jake, which right. sort of, that came about through Jake hanging out at Wooly Bully all the time and then... And was this when you were living in Geelong still? Yeah, I was living in Geelong and then Wooly Bully, which was a comic book and record store and mm. cafe in North Melbourne. I, I just used to frequent like being a, a comic book nerd and a record nerd and a hot sauce nerd. I, I frequented that place and got to know John and Mitch and basically just slept on the couch for like weeks at a time. Yeah. Just because, you know, whenever I couldn't be asked going on the, on the V-line. I think I actually I do I remember when I met you because like I was playing Mario Kart with Mitch and it was like really heated. <laughs> I was like beating her and it's really like she owned the game, I didn't, so I was like, Fuck you, Mitch And then like Rich came in, you're like, Hey mate, like I'm I'm Rich and I was like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. like hold on like, <laughs> hold on a sec. <laughs> I remember like for like a couple of weeks feeling bad that I, I did like a, a shitty introduction. I think that's pretty valid. It's totally valid. <laughs> I won as well. Yeah. If you're listening, Mitch, fuck you. Yeah. I wouldn't have interrupted a game of Asteroids for you, Jake. So. <laughs> I remember seeing Oz Mutants play at Wooly Bully. Ah, yeah, where we wore the stupid T-shirts. I remember that. It was Maggot Fest 3 upstairs, I think. That that was Sean's first show. Sean's first show, yeah. Um, and I, I had seen you previously at the Tote Front Bar. That was our first show. First show or first Victorian show, yeah. yeah. As a, that was a three-piece. Yeah, our first show was in Brisbane. The Bonnie Wells, the Herefants, and Living Eyes, which all had members that would make up Oz Mutants. We we were all playing a show. Like, we did a tour together to Brisbane. Mm. Um, and we, I don't know, I think we had maybe, like, me and Billy had, like, mucked around and played, like, 
maybe made up three songs or something and Mark was there and we just taught him how to play it beforehand. So we just opened the show in yeah. Brisbane and then booked a show like with um, Bad Aches, which was Al from Girls. Oh, yeah, I remember band. Bad Aches. Yeah. I interviewed them for my fanzine. Yeah, they were cool. And yeah, it was them and I think like them and Bat Pierce, which is such a weird lineup yeah. for me just to look back on. But yeah, anyway. Brisbane is where you're from, right? It is, When yeah. When did you move down to Melbourne? 99. All oh, right, so yeah. you've been here for a while. Yeah, but you moved. I, I had a, I had a lot of moving around through the noughties. I sort of so I started playing bands. I had my first band rehearsal in 1988, which Damn. was what Bandridge. <laughs> oh no, that didn't have a name. We only just joined a few times. We just did covers of Transmission by Joy Division and a few other oh, yeah. things. Uh, I was at a, a friend's a friend's dad owned a, a smash repairs in Cooperoo's, and we played in there in Cooperoo, and we played in there on the weekends. That's cool. But my high school band, we we did a covers band that just like. Some friends put this band together. They just asked me to play bass, yeah. and it was like they played the end of high school dance, like a so not not a dance, but so much as like at, in Brisbane in the eighties. This was eighty nine, December yeah. eighty nine, the year I finished high school. What what we used to do was there'd always be one of the rugby leagues club or rugby union club would have like they'd hire it out. Someone would hire it out, and all the school kids would go there and just get smashed. And the cops didn't mind it because it, it meant that there were like 500 kids like... In one area? In one area and yeah. they weren't all on the streets and everything. And so we thought this would be a good... Someone came up with this idea that we'd hire the hall and make it that the party and our band would play. So they put together this band called The Shots. Um, <laughs> but we just did covers of like... The first song we ever played was Durango 95 by Ramones. Ah, oh, cool. That intro. We did like Angels Take a Long Line and The Clash, Should I Stay or Should yeah. I Go, Blister in the Sun and all those songs that were really popular in the 80s. What ended up happening was it ended up being a total shit show and there was like the cops came and arrested it. Arrest, sorry, shut the whole thing down. Yeah. There were kids just like smashed outside. And the the drummer whose dad owned the smash repairs joint, he was there and he knew all the cops because, you know, the, the panel beaters. This guy came along and, and, and sort of pulled us all aside and he, he, he singled me out and he said, did you put this show, this show together? And it was like I was one of about eight people who did, but I said, yeah. He said, you come here. He said to me, you know, there's 14-year-old girls pissing on the sidewalk over here. This is 100% your personal responsibility. And I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. So what did you do? I apologised. <laughs> the party was shut down. Was this before my bike sucks? Oh, yeah. After that, I was in... I, was I, in, I didn't know the shots, so oh, that's, that the first, first yeah, that's the first time I've ever heard of it. In 1990, I was in Brisbane in a record store. I just walked in and saw this, like, flyer. You know, all the flyers that used to be in record stores, yeah, like yeah. starting bands and stuff. All those no-time-wasters ones were there. But there was this one that had all this, like, draw- these drawings of, like, <laughs> shit and poo and vomit and all this kind of stuff. And this band called Harry Pie. And said, so they-, <laughs> they said, we got a cock, sh- we got a-, a fuck shaft and a cockhead and a oh something God. else. And we're looking for a loser to play drums. And yeah. I was like... This is me. <laughs> so I ripped down the flyer and I went around to every single record store and tore all the flyers down so that nobody else could apply for this band. Yeah. Went home and rang them up and they came around and were like, "Just we want you to audition for drums and like play really badly. So I was like sort of playing a bit at a time. No, 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 like just hit everything, like smash it. And so I just like just, you know, just hit the drum kit like a total cacophony. Like, okay, that's it. We've got one riff. This, this is all we're doing. This was this. I guess it was performance art. It was just an, an, the most annoying fucking music you could possibly play. Which right. is on YouTube and SoundCloud. <laughs> you, know, listen to it. you can listen to the Harry Pie tape on, on YouTube. 
It's, I'm um, definitely going to check that out. <laughs> listen to a song. The best song is called My Bike Sucks, I think. My Bike Sucks. It was a song called um, Roy's Dead because Roy Orbison had just died. And ah, yeah. There was these guys from Mount Cravat who were actually professional musicians now. One of them runs a music school in Sydney. That's where it all began. And then when the On You started a little, you know, and I think about a year later in 91, it, like the first review we ever got was featuring a member from Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we should do on the drugs with album. <laughs> Well, oh, Harry Pie yeah. and Butt Shaft. <laughs> butt Shaft. So tell us about Butt Shaft, Jake. Um, <laughs> uh, started at the Year 8 Talent Quest. Um, it was me, uh, my buddy Kane, and his big brother Lucas who um, who got up and played uh, Blitzkrieg Bop, Maxwell Murder by um, Rancid and then Hitchin' a Ride by Green Day. And we didn't nice. have a drummer or a drum machine. It was just like... A piece, a guitar, and a sing and a singer came second, which made us like, you know, Feel really good. propelled us to to really uh, <laughs> thrive and and strive to get the best sound possible. So then, um, you know, Kane's big brother did his own thing, and um, just like a bunch of us uh, in year eight started like. You know, well, let's let's be in a punk band and like we're gonna sound like this and we're gonna sound like that. You know how it is in high school. It's like we wanted to like ha- have the kind of like we wanted to sound like Dead Kennedys meet Sublime. Yeah, <laughs> great, <laughs> great. Which you know I've listened back to the recordings and it kind of does. It, <laughs> it kind of sounds like Dead Kennedys crossed with Sublime. Very very ranted heavy. But yeah, I don't know. We used to like our first show outside of our high school was. At a bowling alley in Hornsby, we uh, put on a show. This called... is in New South Wales, right? Yeah, it's yeah. maybe like Hornsby would be like an hour north of Sydney, we... and also an hour south of where we were from. Um, we just had a friend who worked in a bowling alley, and we were like, "Oh, can we hire it out for a show?" Which he was fine with. I don't. I don't. They're always the best shows, like the yeah. smash repairs and like the. The bowling alleys. Yeah, I don't know if I'm just out of touch, but I haven't seen that happen for a long time. It hasn't happened for a long time. Yeah, yeah. But hopefully it still does, and I'm just out of the loop. But um, there's still a couple of things happening. I think in like maybe Footscray every now and then. It's so accessible to play shows in venues in Melbourne. Like I mean, or especially being over eighteen as well. Yeah, like, for sure. you know, we were like probably fourteen at this stage, and we found out that there was a punk band in Sydney. Like, you know, thinking like, oh, there's only one. Like, because yeah, yeah. I guess like MySpace had only just come out or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, um, but yeah, they were called The Rackets, who ended up being like a, a reggae band. They played punk rock bowling in Hornsby too. Well, actually, just, you know, the thing is with those bands, Butt Shaft and Harry Pie, is that when you're, when you're that age, like I think you were like 12 or 13, <laughs> I was 17, but going on 12. You're having the most fun you could possibly have. Yeah. It's extremely exciting. Every jam, every rehearsal, every dumb idea you've got, yeah. every gig. Like with Harry Potter, we would just go into <laughs> the only gigs we would do would be enter rock awards. Just, <laughs> and we actually made it to the final of one of them just on entertainment value alone. Um, name. And um, also, I remember I went, like, I brought this up with you already, but I went on your Discogs page and your nickname is. Blind Jake. Yeah. <laughs> Have um, you heard this one, Rich? Uh, no. It was just one show. Like it's. Pr- it, I don't. I don't know if this is like. It's. It's in pretty bad taste. But it was, I was just real. It's maybe like two thousand seven or eight or something. I played a show in uh, Chain Valley Bay, which is in the central coast of New South Wales, and um, 
it was the first show I'd done without other people, like solo show or whatever. Mm. And I was just playing like blues covers and I was real, real nervous. And I had this idea that like, if I pretend to be blind, then people can't heckle me. Um, So I like had glasses on and like spent the whole day like pretending to be blind and then played the show. It was really bad. Like I can't even blame (laughs) being young or anything. It was like a pretty bad thing to do. But anyway, I don't know why or how that ended up on the Discogs page. I also, I I saw the photo of you. Have you seen your photo on the Discogs page? No, I haven't. Because I was going to ask you what show... That was from, I'll but you it, haven't I'll seen it. Get it up. What's what's the photo? Like, I mean, you look pretty young. You're rocking out. Well, there was a lot you, of that going you, on. You look like a Ramon kind of. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry, yeah, I just pulled up the photo of Rich. Uh, there's lots of books it's and a, VHS it's, in is the that background. Trash video. Is it the launch of Trash Video? Uh, rather, like a video re- rental store. You're looking oh, incredibly right, cool. cool. 94, and I was right. the first what's employee because the uh, the guy who owned it, Andrew Levold, he's still pretty active with all this stuff. He um yeah. He was still working to he, – he couldn't devote his full time to the job. And I was on, I was on the dole at the time. So yeah. I um, worked – I think I worked from sort of 2 till 6 o'clock on Wednesdays to Friday, something like that, in return for free rentals. And it was this like B-grade movie, <laughs> free rentals forever, right? And that yeah, was what yeah. I did for six months or a year or something I did like. Did you take advantage of it after that? Yeah, and he got really shitty because <laughs> 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 I would rent like 20 videos and give them back a month later. But, you know, fair enough. I gave him you know, yeah. a lot of yeah. things. Hey, like, make I mean, a contract he, he if you wanted. That, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I used to work at that at that trash video store where we the audience played the opening night. Who chooses the photos yeah. in Discogs? That's what I want. I think know. just random people that just like making Discogs pages about stuff. Fair enough. Or record stores. I guess like as well. there's no release I've ever done where I've uploaded it to. Discogs. I've never done anything. I Someone else I've has done made a few all for the... art. When did art start? So that was 2007. So the Boogers had started in 2006, rehearsing on their first rehearsal was the sixth of the sixth. The, sea. Um, the day that Slayer, God Hates Us All, came out. Um, and it was just it was just Mikey and, and, and Pear and I. And Pear didn't have a drum kit, so he drummed, was drumming on a plastic jerry can. And, um, That'll do. Yeah. And eventually we got Stacky, and um, I think a year later, we waited until we had like 18 songs before we played our first show. But a year later, we, had, we played our first show at this venue I used to book, um, Exile on Smith Street, which is Grumpy's Green. It became Grumpy's yeah, Green yeah, later yeah. on with a place with a mezzanine floor on Smith Street. Did you do that with Pear, or did he just do D- DJ Nights? No, there was another dude I knew from Brisbane, this guy Graham, who used to play in Strutter. And he was the DJ and I was a band booker. And that all ended acrimoniously because of certain things. And he ended up coming in and throwing a brick through the front window and wow. threatening, me, threatening to beat the shit out of me and everything. And, and then he disappeared in New Zealand. Now he just loves listening to podcasts. And-
So we were rehearsing there, and at the, at the time, I think I, I'd sort of got sick of doing Dropkick Records, which you know, the last Dropkick record, Dropkick release was in 2006, which was the first Eddie Current record. So I was working; ah. I've been working at Corduroy with Mikey since 2000, and so we had worked on that together. And I'd, I was sick of Dropkick; I'd, I never liked the name of it and all of that kind of stuff. And it was just sort of like I thought maybe it was time to start a new. But I, I said to Mikey, "Would you like to do a record label together?" Because he was still so. The, Corduroy had sold the record plant to Obese Records, the hip-hop label that right. did Hilltop Hoods and all that kind of stuff. And they had moved it to Richmond, and he was the only sort of hangover from then. And, and the Obese guys had named it Zenith, and it was over at Richmond. And then the Boogers were practising there in the in the control room there, and that's where we recorded our first single. So we, I think we, we got Stacky to, to sing. And then so the day before I said to Mikey, hey, do you want to start a record label? Mm. Pear had said to Mikey, do you want to start a record label? So I think the three of us just sort of did it. For a while, and then st- it was like at Booger's practice, it was us three yeah. and Stacky. Then eventually, Stacky joined art officially. That's think- cool, it's nice to have a good crew, yeah. And so, a lot of the first singles Mikey was sort of responsible for. I did it, I was responsible for a couple, Pear was responsible for a few. Then, around the time, I think just after the first UV Race record, Mikey left, 
because you just wanted to not be so concentrating on doing that but just do the mastering so he left and stacky had been working for years on this record which was this song there's this single with two old mining songs recorded in the 50s that came out on a on smithsonian folkways he had or or at least the artist had had some stuff on smithsonian folkways comps like songs of mining songs and things like that but he had seen them in a documentary that um was about the construction of the snowy river hydro scheme yeah these mining songs and he had spent two years like traveling up all around canberra and southern new south wales like finding down tracking down the families of the people involved and getting the whole story behind this whole thing i think he had met like you know the granddaughters and grandsons of like the people the two musicians in the band mm. and who never knew that they had this like ancestors who had this like quite famous history um playing jazz and all that kind of stuff so anyway he so stacky put that record out which that was, was the, on the, art that was on art yeah right. the worst selling out. record we did and oh really it's like <laughs> in a lot of ways it's the most there's 200 i had left i think i gave 100 to record paradise how many did you do 500 500 yeah mm. maybe we did 300 I've got I've got about fifty or something, but it was really you know really fully researched with liner notes and the whole thing. And we did a we did a screening of the, of the, this experimental film that that was about the Snow River scheme. Yeah. that was commissioned by Shell back in the fifties. Also, it's it's so good, like it's yeah, great, it's incredible. It's, it just, it's just not like we you know it's the kind of thing where what art records not many art records people are gonna. Oh yeah. And so for years I was just getting mail order mail order um orders and i would just chuck one in there oh, if, you bought, okay, if yeah. you've got a record you've got a free copy of this record yeah, yeah which is actually like even though i met you at woolly bully my first correspondence with you is buying stuff from corduroy i bought like a shutdown 66 record um i got like three extra records yeah, so right. i like <laughs> sent like an email back and i'm pretty sure you it, it would have been made yeah it would have yeah. been you wrote back to me just being like again, hey it's cool you're from the central coast and into this see ya because <laughs> yeah. what corduroy had at the time like probably five thousand just random garage singles that you just couldn't bloody sell so we just if you ordered a record you got, you got uh, three se- random seven inches you got a telltale heart seven inch oh yeah uh the early hours which i think i chucked on once and i was just like nah no thank you <laughs> sorry <laughs> You didn't know me then, it's cool. Can't remember the other yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, Probably like fuzz tones or some shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, and so Mikey left and then I think Stacky wasn't too involved with the label and then that was sort of like phase, the phase one of art sort of stopped around 2011 when the UV Race Homo record came out. So how come after that you like, you decided to like just kind of keep going with it when Well, I had, I had, all, so I had all my health problems, which I'm also, Pear was still doing it at that Pear point, was right? still doing right. it, and Stacky was normally still involved, but not really doing a whole lot. But Doing the bookkeeping. <laughs> doing the bookkeeping. He's, like, he's the lawyer, Stacky. Right. His alter ego, Jonathan Wilmot, was our like. But then I think we sort of took a break from it, really, for a year or two. But when – after I – because I had been on dialysis for a few years and hmm. um, from sort of 2006 to 12, and 2012 I had my transplant. You were on dialysis for s- – Six years. Damn. Yeah. Well, the whole time that – Art started and the boogers started. I, I was on dialysis in July 2006 and mm. the boogers started one month before. Art started a month after and then you know, I did two, or two, two tours of the States with the boogers and Eddie Carrington while, while on dialysis, carrying a dialysis machine around with me everywhere. Actually, we went. wow. The, that time at the Gasso when I met you was the you're like, I'm not on dialysis anymore. It would have been a little because I, I, ha- I had the transplant. Out. I had the transplant oh, okay. and then I had yeah. to stay home for a month because I was so heavily immunocompromised and mm. immunosuppressed, sorry, heavy duty. We, we put the label on hold, but then that Eastlink tape had come out. It was a cassette, but that, that song Wild Dog, I think Pear and I were just like, 
this is so good it just has to be on a seven inch you know yeah it's that it was just that good a song so we did that and then the boogers album and its second boogers album was ready and then so I guess you sort of get started again. And I feel then, like, yeah, it's hard to kind of stop a label when, like, you don't want to keep doing it, but then you know people that make such amazing music and you just want to be involved with totally. that, you know. And then the next, thing that, the next thing that kicked the label along was this bloke. Yeah, so tell me the story about how... Um, <laughs> well, oh, it, was yeah. me, it was me bugging you. Yeah. That's how I remember it, at least. Yeah, yeah. It took me a little while to realise how many good independent bands there are in Australia, and they have been for, like, mm. decades. I think it took me a while as well. But, you know, when I, like, growing up in the Central Coast, when I first heard, like, the Straight Arrows were the first band that I was like, oh, shit, they're, oh, actually, Straight Jacket as well. Mm. Like, when I heard those two, I was like, oh, like, there's bands in Australia at the moment that are, like, doing good stuff. I saw um, Frowning Clouds uh, playing Sydney, and I was like, that kind of like blew me away at that point to the point where I was became friends with him and moved down to Geelong to. Um, yeah, so, I've talked to you before. I'm like, not a lot of people will make the move from Sydney to Geelong. Yeah, I I, I guess I wasn't living in Sydney though. I grew up oh, in like yeah. a pretty small town, so mm-hmm. I I didn't want to live in a city. And I still, I mean, the only reason why I moved to Melbourne was because like, you know, Kaz, my partner, was. Um, pretty keen on it or like she was from Melbourne and like you're not going to be <laughs> yeah. living in Melbourne and be like oh okay, okay. I'll, I'll go live with this dropkick with no job in Geelong yeah um, what we why did I start talking about this what were we talking um, about the label the label oh yeah yeah and you know so then like w- during Frowning Clouds I joined Frowning Clouds and even though I think that that band like I quite like the songs of that band and I think the people making like songwriting or whatever in that band is like the next level. They're really good at it. It was the only band I've ever been in that has like a booker and a manager. The the shows that we would play would just be like the biggest dog shit shows. And it just got me into this like, oh, Australia doesn't have any good bands because I was just in this weird circuit where I was playing like most nights of the week with just like triple j wannabe bands so basically a bad booker just kind of well i mean not yeah like he was booking his shows and we were getting paid so it was kind of like doing his job or whatever but like it just wasn't at all what me or what i later found out any of the other members wanted to do so you know it was around this time when i just started going to record stores a lot and just becoming friends with the locals and in Melbourne, because I just didn't really know anyone in Melbourne. I was going to say, what, what, are there any record stores in Geelong? Yeah, uh, there's like this place called the Mill in Geelong, which has, which is like a big kind of secondhand like clothing thing or whatever. But they have record stores inside, which are like decent. But none of the, it's kind of like a, a market stall or something. So the people who run the record departments aren't there. You just kind of yeah, get yeah, what you yeah. want and take it to the front, and then they or pay them off later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you d- it didn't really have that kind of like you don't get to know them and then like find out what the new releases are or anything like that. Like, and also, like I didn't know in the Central Coast you don't have community radio, and I didn't know anything about that until actually like years after I lived in Victoria. I was like, oh, like Triple R and PBS, you actually hear like local stuff. Um, what year was this around? That was like like 2010, right? Yeah, I, I just started, like, 
Um, I, I played Boogie first with Frowning Clouds and UV Race were playing again, and I recognized Dan and Al from Straight Jacket, which mm. I'd seen like a few years earlier. I hadn't really been to any punk shows or anything for a while, and I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, yeah, I recognize you guys. And then, like, UV Race just, like, they, they opened with an Electric Hills cover, and they were just so haphazard and falling apart but kind of staying together at yeah. the same time I, I don't know it was just the only band at that festival that actually like spoke to me or whatever so yeah I, I like bought their record and then I just realized that it was on art and I just went back and pretty much just bought whatever I could on that label and then found all these other labels around like yeah, you know, like RIP Society and yeah. um I'm kind of drawing a blank at the moment, but like, well, like just, do you listen to stuff like Eternal Soundcheck in Brisbane? Or yeah, like, yeah, and like, and just what like, uh, what was the what was that blog that uh, I'm drawing a blank? I, don't yeah, know. Yeah. I can't remember. I don't know. Basically, it was around like 2011 or whatever. I was like, oh, okay, like there is a bunch of people my own age or like you know within like a 10 year kind of um, mm. radius. Uh, who are making cool, like, not even just, like, punk music or whatever, just any kind of music, but, like, something left of centre. It was probably, like, the Maggot Fest 2012 where I was just kind of like, oh, shit, this has hit, like, a peak. Like, I still think that that was, like, the peak of Victorian, like, Melbourne underground Maggot Fest 3 at, at the Gasso. Yeah, it was, that was when I was just like fuck, there's heaps of people that are into this music now. Which is funny because I remember, I, I reckon I've talked to you about this, Christina, and I reckon that that was the point where you were like, I need to leave Melbourne. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, that's why I was just thinking, I was like, it's funny that like I've had totally a different, like a, a different experience like at that time for yeah. me, you know. I um, guess because like I, just being like small town growing up or whatever, I didn't really like, the, the friends that I had there like don't really have... Outside of the butt shop people, obviously, uh, <laughs> don't have any interest in music. Like, s- small town syndrome where you just think, oh, there's no one else. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, I I have, like, the Ramones records. I know everything yeah. about punk. There's no one else. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> well, so I remember Mikey had said, look, I've just mastered this thing by Oz Mutants. And I'd seen them. The It was the split personalities thing. And, and Jake had sent it to me. Well, I think actually Mikey sent it to me. And said, you know, I think he's. This is worth considering for art. And I had to listen to it. And I was like, this is. It's cool as like it's got that whole chrome thing, and you yeah, know, it's like really, really lo-fi stripped back synth punk. But I've just thought it wasn't worth putting on an LP at that point. I thought maybe this is a demo tape, and if we were going to get behind it, like I mean, they were totally a band after my was own that heart, a first you know? release? Like they hadn't put anything out before. Yeah, that, it was. Ju- it was just me and Billy at that point, ah, and right. like it was a tape that we did in his bedroom, and we made thirty copies of. Every single one of them went to Wooly Bully. I was like, going to uh, ask how, because I don't actually know how Oz Mutant started. Like, if, so it was just it you was and just Billy. Like, it was, yeah, me being very, Geelong is very, well, at least in 2010, it yeah. was very, very like flower people, garage, everything. Everyone have a good time. Everyone like, like Ugh, feel the vibe kind terrible. of thing. It was doing my head in at the yeah. time. And I just wanted to, I was like, Billy, I want to be like the most hated band ever. Which is such a stupid. Thing. I remember, like, I did. Dan um, Stewart interviewed me when I was just after this point. Basically, he did uh, an interview with me around that same time, and um, and I said something along those lines about like wanting to be the most hated band in the, the world. And he was like, "Oh yeah, how old were you?" And I was like, "Oh, I was younger." And he's like, 
When did when did that come out? And he did the maths, and it was like, so you, what? You were twenty two. He's like, fuck yeah, <laughs> shit. I was twenty two. <laughs> yeah, not fourteen. Yeah, but yeah. Anyway, yeah. So did he used tape. to break into Billy's house when he was let yourself in through the, the window yeah. at Billy's house and just start recording? Yeah, personalities. I've got it like a. Very good relationship with Billy's whole family because they're, like, the best people on earth. But, yeah, yeah, it's the kind of thing, like, even though I haven't been living in Geelong for, like, eight years or whatever, I reckon I could probably go to Billy's mum or dad's house and just break in and and they wouldn't care. (laughs) Like, I'm not going to do it, but, like, I reckon I could get (laughs) away with it. Yeah, Yeah, so, you know, Billy Billy worked at a cafe in the morning or whatever and I'd just... Most of the time we did it together, but there's a couple of occasions where I was like, oh, i got this song I want to record, and I'd just break into his house and record it. Yeah. Yeah. This is still in Geelong, right? Yeah, it's in West Geelong, yeah. Yeah, and so they did that, and I, and I said, look, we'll pass on it. They did the second one, and I think like they'd recorded all the songs that were going to be amusements, and they'd recorded like 23 songs. And yeah. I, I listened to it and it was just like, you know, and, and they had this idea for the songs they wanted to be on the album and the songs they wanted to be on the singles. And Per and I were listening to it and it's like, like they're so good live and we like all these songs in this record but that they've recorded, but we can't, like this this album you've put together sort of is not really representative of what's best about your band. Would you mind if we like, you know, chose the songs ah, or, right. or, or worked you, with you on, on like what, what are the best songs to do on the yeah, album? Yeah, you like, phrased it like, um, look, <laughs> we would like these songs but... We would also not be offended if you told us to go get fucked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I was just like, with the, with the onions, if a label ever had ever told me what songs to put on a record, I would have just been like, who the actual fuck mm. do you think you are? And I had never been like that with art before. And that's why I think Per and I were sort of like hesitant to sort of get, because you were on tour with Fran and Cloud saying, hey guys, I don't want to house you, I just really want to know what's going on, otherwise we have to find another label because there's a label here that's really keen. I said, look, we want to do it, but is it okay if we work with you on the, on the track listing? And I thought that was a big sort of a breach of the role of a record label as far as, I, you know, because it was so staunchly like respectful. I think it depends how artist. you go about it as well. Like if you have like the polite conversation and like phrase your wording carefully and you're not just like, hey, some of your songs suck and some of them don't. Can yeah. I honestly, out? like if and it had been like BMG or something or like, you know, some label who clearly hasn't heard any of the songs, I probably would have been like get fucked. But like mm-hmm. it's... Okay, you're actually listening to the songs. You yeah. want to have input. Why would I? Why? Why would I have anything against yeah. that? Yeah. Like, and I'm stoked that anyone would listen to it. And I didn't really know how. To, the way I sort of approached it was, I want to convince. I got my old mate Dave Lang, who's like a record collector. He's a total yeah, musical yeah. Leader, Doesn't right he still work at a record store? Round and round. Yeah, okay. And I was like, if I needed to convince him that there's this great young band who was like the newest, greatest thing. Mm. I'm just going to put a, put the best six songs on that on a CD and send to him. And like I put like 10 or 12 songs on. And that's sort of the way I approached it. I remember just the amount of time I was spending on it, like in iTunes, working out the best song order, the best sequence, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it was the first time I'd done this, like in a label capacity. And I played the songs like the play count was like 70 or 80 on each each of the songs. Yeah. You know? What do you reckon they were in my... Two. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, it sounds alright. <laughs> yeah. And then Jake, but I, but those guys were just like totally like, well, if you want to, you know, we, we we're not precious about this. So, mm. but I, I had a bit of a backward forwards with Billy, and I think inducing instinct and pissed. No, what's the other one? Pissed myself twice. Were the two that we were like, oh, we've got to change the order on them, and he was insistent. And I was like, okay, fine. 
swap those two around. And I think we got like pretty much the perfect sequencing, which is really important for an album. What does it open with? Bad Day. Okay. <laughs> In Daylight Robbery. Test. <laughs> I didn't know the answer. <laughs> So and so I think that, yeah. and then they, and then they came up with the artwork and all that kind of stuff, and that was that was the rest was all up to them. And I just knew that R- written by the handwriting is Carolyn, uncredited, which she oh. mentioned to me a couple of years ago. <laughs> and I think the photography also uncredited Dom or Julia. So just here's a shout out to you guys. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry, it's too late. <laughs> it's too late. Hey, it was what 2012. So that was 2012. That was late, and the album came out in November 2013. Right. So, and at this point, you still weren't working with Rich on art. No, no. It was still Pear and no, I. Yeah. It was yeah. just Pear and I at that point. And I think, and then then Jake sort of had we had the second Osbudens album, and then he had Leather Towel with Pear, and that was obviously going to be on art because because Pear and Jake were in it, but it's also because mm. it was just so fucking good. I thought I just thought that Leather Towel album was just incredible. also that's the best name, Leather Towel. Yeah, I reckon it's like best band name yeah. in, in no, the world. I agree. Yeah. Leather Talent Drugs, but I'm blessed. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't make up either yeah. of them, but I'm happy to take but it. Leather Towel, I mean, that's take it away. That came from you hanging out at Wooly Bully with Tom No, Hardesty. that was Pear. Pear came up with that. Okay. Yeah, but still, But the yeah. band. Yeah, yeah. All, yeah, the band all revolved around Wooly Bully again. Yeah. And then anyway, yeah, I th- and I think by that stage, you know, Pear had maybe lost in... Pear was still... Involved when we did the Nun album, but I think it was late 2015 or early, very early 2016 that I think Jake got involved. And cause it was just was like that, that Steve Albini talk that me, you, and oh, Texas yeah. and Bill went to because yeah. you were like, I remember you in the car, we were talking about recording Band of the Future, and then you were like, I don't know if I can be fucked doing art anymore. It's like, I was just like, oh. yeah, and I'd been thinking of asking something. Jake for a couple of years, but mm. I was just like, oh, he's got, I don't want to like take all the you know he's writing songs i don't want to take and get him get him doing fucking admin like leave him writing songs so anyway so he and he got involved because i mean he was in every second bloody band on the label anyway yeah same idea with mikey with doing it with with doing art in the first place yeah. because we did eddie current together and so when i had done dropkick and wanted to start a new band and so i just asked like the two people in you know i had done sailors records and eddie current records and so i just started a band with the people on the label and then 2014 comes around i wanted to do a new band and just start a band with people on the label i just started working the tote and angus was working the tote roland had just moved down from mel from brisbane he was in cobwebs who had played with osbins a few times yeah um, and did a split split cassette with Herefins. Herefins. Mm. and we just and that just came about. We we actually started. We rocked up at the there was this little bands thing that you know that the old primitive, primitive calculators, calculators used mm. to do in Clifton Hill in the seventies, and they did it. They were doing a, a, a new thing of it, but well, we I just can... did it, and we had six people in the band, and we had rec- we had our first gig on a Wednesday night. Roland and I rocked up at seven thirty. I think Jake and this is Roland that's in Civic and yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And we started jamming just completely crap riffs, whatever we came up with, first thing we came up with. And, and Niblet. Was, and Niblet was there. Yeah. And so Niblet had a Casio keyboard and he just got bossing over and put it on full speed the whole time, then played some wiki <laughs> dink stuff. And this is Niblet of uh, 3D TV fame. And, and electric guitars. And electric and, guitars, yeah. yeah. Yes! Yeah. 
many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Richard Walsh from Sydney. We all knew him from Sydney. Right. And then we're halfway through our set, which was improvised songs, and Jake just started making, and I think... Halfway through the set, Jake just started playing the chords, which became Hectic Whipper. All right. And Angus has jumped up and started playing songs, and he could drum in time. And so he got a second little Casio thing, so we had two little rinky-dink drum machines and then a couple of live drums and two guitars and two keyboards. And I think at that point as well, it was like... Oh, and Mark was it doing oh, it Mark was well. in it too, yeah. But yeah, I think at that point, um, all right, we got, we got to play for 10 minutes, let's do 10 one-minute songs. But um, that didn't last. It's very that long. punk. Yeah. So, Drug yeah. Sweat played at the start of the year. That was your last show. Yeah. You said. So, what about when was Art's last release? Uh, Il Globo. Il Globo. Ah, Seven yeah. inch. So we're on forty nine releases now. So we'll have to do a fiftieth. Ah, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a big one. Maybe it yeah. might just be a little one, a seven inch. That's true. Tape. A tape. <laughs> Dad. Is it something yeah. that you've discussed at all? Yeah, but I can't talk about it. Top secret. Okay. Yeah, it'll be. It's not even for the uh, modern Australian underground podcast. If it, if it happens, it'll be worth. You ever heard of a little band called Friends or Rom? You ever heard of a little band called Twenty Eight Days? <laughs> <laughs> what about uh, Area? What's that band? Seven. Area Come seven. on, they're named after a special. I keep thinking song. of Area Fifty One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got an offer from Fat Possum. They were starting up this new distrib- distribution thing called um, House Arrest Records, which is all through. Sony Red in the States and yeah. Play It Again Sam. Play It Again Sam. And when was this? I think I remember. Like 2016 or 17? 16? Yeah, so all Actually. those Leather Towel and Herefence records came out through um, House Arrest, ultimately mm. Sony. But it was like they had like less price lines. So if you have a seven inch, it has to come out at this retail price, like uh, this wholesale price of $3.85 US or whatever it is. Right. And it would actually cost us more than that to make the thing, let yeah, alone yeah. ship it over there. So we'd have to, you'd, if you wanted them to do your seven inches, you had to lose like a dollar a record or whatever. But so it's not worth it. Also, they not were worth it. convinced us to press CDs of everything. Oh, it's just like, oh, we've got this distributor in Germany who wants 400 leather towel CDs. I, I'm <laughs> no, not, they don't. You don't have to be a professional, <laughs> like an industry stalwart to understand yeah. that an Australian band that is never going to tour Europe, there's yeah. not w- a, one country that needs 400 CDs. Well, I think they put, like, they do the easy thing, which is put a blanket over all the bands and they don't actually look at the bands and, like, kind of yeah, that, assess yeah. it, you know? Mm. But, and and I, I just argued the toss and I said, we don't need to do this. And like, no, we, we need to fulfill these orders. And so I go down to Implant and get 400 CDs of Leather Tower made, send them over, and I mean, we never even got paid for all the stuff in, that we sold in the UK. I don't know, you know, there's, there's a bunch of Cosmic Psycho CDs sitting in a warehouse I never managed to get back out of them. Yeah. It was just a waste of time. That sucks. Um, cost us about 10 grand. 10 grand and also any enthusiasm. It sucked <laughs> it was, all, the, yeah. all, all the enthusiasm for the life out of the label. Like yeah. any... I mean, I should have known, but it seemed like a really good thing. They were like, we were the first label they had chosen because they were like, you don't 
you know, you don't do a lot of releases, but every single release sort of stands alone and the bands are unique, but they're sort of, there's this cohesive vision to the they label. And I think What's Your Rupture still goes through them. And Oh, really? So, and then after that, I think we just did sort of 2017, we just went to doing singles and I think we did, one year we did... Spotting. Spotting and Drug Sweat. And then we did Ubik? Rabbit Dogs and Ubik. Oh, then we did... Um, What I think, I kind of like what art has done. Like if you look at the catalogue, I feel like there's been like this carryover across like like because it's been going for a little while, you can see uh, it's kind of like a display of the the scene for the last like 15 years and kind of gives you like a story, you know? Like even when I was interviewing Beck and Andrea yesterday, I was like after um, Nihilistic Orbs kind of went down, I was like, Art did the Nun record, and it's like you kind of carried that sound over a little bit until it got picked up with bands like Spotting, and even then you put that out, mm. you know. So it's like it's cool to look at the catalogue of art because it does have that history of different sorts of Australian music, and you're not just sticking to one thing. Yeah, You're just like kind of picking up things that you believe in and you like. Yeah, and it sort of just makes – I mean, I remember being at one point the, the three bands that we had that were going on the label, sort of. It was like there was Osmutants, None and Exhaustion with, you know, Boogers and Eastlink sort of thing. And that all just made sense to me as a, as, a, as an overall sort of, you know, yeah. coterie of bands. So but, the majority of bands and members of bands, it's like people we hang out with and quite – I mean, sometimes, like most often at least – yeah. Can't really think of any examples where it's like not. Yeah, yeah, no. Can I ask, um, Jake, what's your favourite show that you've seen, like where Rich has been playing? Can you remember? Oh, one? yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Straight away, the first thing that came in my head was Onyas at the Tote. And there was a. So it was like the first time the Onyas had played in years. And from. Mem- I'm going to say that you didn't have a practice, even though I could not tell. It was like. It was pretty on point. Mm. Can't remember what the, any of the other bands that played, but um, there was uh, a cover of "How You Going" by John Vincent. John Vincent, that's right. <laughs> and where Rich does the backups of "Yeah, All Right." <laughs> There's a call and response song. Is this the Adelaide Radio DJ? How you going? All right. How you going? <laughs> All right. How you going? All right. How you going? All right. So Cracky anyway. Coldy. You beaut. Crack a coldie. You beaut. Crack a coldie. You beaut. Crack a coldie. You beaut. See you later. Uru. See you later. Uru. See you later. Uru. See you later. Uru. Anyway. Fucking Ru. I gotta listen to this song. So, uh, so the onions are covering it and Rich is responsible for all the call and responses and he just didn't have a microphone. He was singing into... Just like just a cable, like the microphone had fallen out, and I don't know whether he'd noticed or not. But like, no, I, I probably knew. I, who knows? Yeah. You were definitely acting like you hadn't, you hadn't noticed. But yeah, that that was uh, that's the first one that came to my mind. Or probably actually, like the first show I saw as an over eighteen year old was an Anya's show um, with. Shut down sixty six, Eddie Current, and the Sailors, and probably a bunch of other bands. No, it was just those four. We went. Oh, on right. a, we did a a package tour. All oh, right, and we went and played the Annandale with that lineup, and maybe a couple of other shows with that lineup. 
Right. There was a. I reckon there was a shut down sixty shut down sixty six show the next day at the Sando, but uh-huh. I can't remember. No, we, we didn't play that. Right. <laughs> yeah, two thousand five, maybe. Yeah, maybe two thousand six. About the time that before Eddie Cohen had blown up, and I think maybe that was their first Sydney. I think it was tour. their album launch. Mm. I think really, maybe yeah. not. I can't remember, but um, I yeah, I just went because like I met a friend uh, Olivia who was my first Sydney friend who was, like, into cool music. And mm. she was like, you got to check out this band, Eddie Current. And, you know, at the time, I didn't really get Eddie Current. It took me a couple of years before I, like, got onto them, but I really liked the other bands that played. And, yeah, I remember just seeing... I, I remember seeing the Onyas and thinking... These guys are too Australian for me. <laughs> well, I had was, it was, a hot, it was, you know, we were just driving in the van and I just had board shorts and came in and no shoes on. And, uh, we had just been hanging around and then it was time to play and someone else had the key to the van, so I just had to, I didn't have any time to go and get my thongs on, so bare feet. Isn't that so weird, though, that, like, we were raised in a culture where, yeah, you're like, oh, I didn't know there were Australian bands. Like, and yeah. then when you see something Australian, you're like, that's weird, you know? Like, yeah, it took and, me and ages. I, same. Like, and I hate it. I hate the conditioning in Australia for young kids or, like, you know, growing up is just like you're looking to America, you know, when mm. there's so much good stuff going on in Australia. And, like, Americans look at Australia and, like, you know, look at the bands that are here, you know. And then, because I remember going on Terminal Boredom and just thinking it was funny that all these Americans into Australian bands. But it's just When like, we played Goner Fest, there yeah. were 13 Australian bands. What year was that? Uh, 2014. I went, I think, 2011 or 12 when Royal Headache and Kitchen's Floor played. I reckon Easter Bilby was, like, a, a very, very big reason mm. of Massive Catalyst, yeah. So oh. he came out here in. I, well, I first met him when the Uga Boogers and Eddie Can't played Gonafest Four in two thousand seven. Hmm. So Uga Boogers, we we Eddie Can't were going over there. Pear and his wife were about to have Sid, their first kid. And Stacky and I were like, "Why don't we go?" Member over? of Power Supply. Member of Power Supply. Yeah. Now. Oh yeah. And why don't why don't we just go over there and we'll just get Danny from Eddie Can't to play and we'll do a Boogers an Uga Boogers show. So we did a tour of one show in Memphis. And we did a, a tour T-shirt, which had you know, you know the, you have all the dates down the back. We had one show on it, and Eddie Khan played that one, and that was really fun. And so, I think, uh, I think Digger Booger, and the Pussycats, is Digger and the Pussycats yeah. played. Boogers and Eddie Khan played you. again the next year. So 2007 was when yeah, Eddie Khan did their first tour of the states, and I went around with them just selling merch, and they had to get an extra a double size van so they could take my dialysis machine with all the fluid uh, yeah. around. And then the second time Boogers did. A full one month tour, again with me taking dialysis equipment around everywhere. Yeah, and on the Oz Mutants tour, Bruce from Easter Bilby was our driver. Oh, right, and like kind of organizer and merch guy and everything. Yeah. How'd it go? It was good. It was good. <laughs> no, it was really good. We first met him when the Boogers toured and stack and. He just met us and was just like, oh, you guys, you know, you're an Australian band. And he was obsessed with Australian stuff. And he gave us a lift around to where we needed to go or whatever. And I remember Stacky just in the back of the car, he was telling us about hush puppies, that American food. And Stacky just endlessly punishing him about the size of them in relation to golf balls or tennis balls. What is a hush puppy? Those deep fried little bread balls type Ah. things. <laughs> and Stacky just working him for five minutes about how big they are, how much do they weigh? <laughs> Could you, how many would you have in a standard like I, serving of hush puppies? Or I feel like uh, 
every member of Oz Mutants is the stacky. We were just like, <laughs> you haven't heard Regurgitator? Check out these Regurgitator songs, <laughs> oh, Bruce. And then I think Stacky and I were just like, you know, boogers were like, we were, we were, we played first on the Saturday at Murphy's yeah. and we were just like, this, this addition as, as, as a kindness from Eric. Because I knew had played Memphis with the Oblivions earlier and he loved us and, and Sailors had played there before. And it was just like, oh, well, you know, if you guys are in a band, I'll chuck his on. And he gave us 200 bucks. And I remember at the end of the night, that night, <laughs> Stacky and I were hammered. And we said, let's go fucking get Eric and corner him and just punish him about how little he paid us. Oh, my God. That's so, <laughs> so tight. Stacky or Jonathan? Uh, uh, this, well, it must have been Jonathan if we're talking <laughs> cash, yeah. So we, got, we went there and we just honestly, like, cornered him. And I, I said, hey, do you, want a, do you want a drink? I said, yeah, whiskey sour. No worries. I got in whiskey sour. Came back. No, um, whiskey soda, sorry. And then we just said, listen, Eric, look, we come a long fucking way. It's <laughs> just 200 bucks. I couldn't go nowhere to was. And it's the shock on his face. <laughs> and then we, just, of course, we, yeah, at yeah, first yeah. he was like aghast. But, yeah. You know. And then you guys did a band together. We did, yeah. You did we did a band Oblivion's. with Eric from Ghana? Yeah, when the Oblivions toured the States, we, um, sorry, when the Oblivions toured Australia, right. Greg did. Uh, a sideshow with the members of the Raining Men, which were the that Raining Sound covers band. Right. And he did basically a set of Raining Sound covers. Um, and I was at the Northwood Social Club. Then Eric had been in a bunch of other bands like the Bad Times and um, True Sons of Thunder and Sector Zero and all that kind of stuff. And we he got up the Boogers to be his backing band, and we did a whole song of like songs that he had he had written in all the various bands. Some Oblivion songs too. Light, light, yeah, light, light. <laughs> What's that band uh, called? I don't even know. I I just, you I need just remember that. There's a band you need it, yeah, right. that pairs are obsessed with. And they have this, you've got to look into the light, 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 light. And this goes for like 10 minutes. Light, 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 light. And we did that for like 10 or 15 minutes. Do you remember seeing Jake playing a show? Or like what's your favourite memory of Jake playing a show? There was a time at that early, the early drug sweat stuff where it was pretty loose and mm. like spontaneous. And we made up a lot of the songs like on the spot. And we were, I remember we'd go into the old, what, what's now the Tote Kitchen, and that was where they stored the PA, oh, and yeah, bands would always store, that. the, store their gear there. Yeah. And the front bar PA wasn't set up like to the walls, it wasn't actually like yeah. mounted on the walls. So it was all just sitting there. And so we would just go in there and like, Set Angus had set the PA up. We just sort of used whatever ants were lying around, and like this tiny little room, six of us would cram in there, and that sort of formed the way that the music had to be played because there was so much. It was so tight, and you couldn't just all play the same thing. So you sort of had to play parts off each other and around each other a bit, and that sort of helped define the sound of the early stuff. But it was so like sort of just ridiculous and outlandish, you know. Yeah. And I remember there were some songs where Jake was just like rolling around the stage and. And that was happening a lot for about a year, I think. It, that that band had that magic about it in 2014 to early 2015. Um, <laughs> I remember just sometimes being on stage and watching him just going, good Lord, like, I, hope, I hope everyone else is having a fun time watching this as I am. Yeah. I reckon it got to a point where there was a, a stage around that time. Uh, it was also just after our American tour when I realised that, like, especially playing shows in the Midwest and stuff where people actually go stupid while watching a band um which which is magic should, but i know yeah. it was amazing yeah like i mean i think it's that was like, like you're meant to kind of like lose yourself in it or whatever and do whatever you want but um i was doing that quite a lot and like rolling around on the ground while show while bands are playing and then like you know trying to take people's feet out from underneath them which is so stupid but, I'm you know yeah yeah but 
at the time it seemed like a fine thing to do. I remember Ooga Boogers were playing at Zane's birthday, um, like Zane of serial killer fame. He uh, he was wearing like Yasmin gave him this big overcoat blouse kind of thing. I don't know what you even call it. it looked like a wedding dress or something. Mumu? Yeah, Mumu. He gave <laughs> gave Zane this big like white Mumu to wear, and he was wearing it all night. And then I sized him. I was like, <laughs> what I was thinking. Booga Boogers were playing, and I was just like, eh, I'm gonna go like stupid here. And I saw this like big Mumu, and I was like, I'm gonna pick up Zane and drive him into the ground. And I picked, I like did him this like football tackle, <laughs> and I drove him into the <laughs> into the ground so hard. And I realized that he'd like given given it to his partner, and I just like tackled this girl. <laughs> and it was like at that point where I was like, I gotta stop doing this. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, especially because you're so tall. Like, yeah, like, I know. Sorry, I shouldn't have done it. I was sorry, you Claire. Just to have fun. She was cool about it, but I I was definitely I've been sheepish ever since. There was another time where I think Ausbutens were, were just before the US tour had played. You know that. And I was when they recorded Order of Operation, I was trying to tell them, don't record it before you go to the States. Mm. Go to the States and record it, and you, you are going to come back a completely different band. Mm. And then record this album that will be like f- so much point. better. Guess who didn't listen to you? Right. They recorded it, but it was good because they had an, and Ghana put the record out in time for their American tour, and so that was really great. Mm. When they came back, they played Maggot Fest, and I think they were like headlining on one of the nights, were playing last downstairs. What year was this? 2015. Okay. 14? I was 14? gone. It was, oh, this, it, it I was, was we got, Yeah, we yeah. got back from America like the day before. 
And they were just a completely different band. Completely like had changed and was super hard and tight and fast and everything. It was like really intensely rocking. It's like touring there is, I mean, it's not easy in the terms of like, it's easy in the terms of being like, okay, I'll travel three hours and play another show. But I mean, it's not easy. Have you ever played Salt Lake City? (laughs) It's terrible. (laughs) And it takes like eight hours to get there and eight hours to get out of there. Tell me, like, I mean, we've been talking about Australian punk and like what you guys have kind of been doing for the last 10 years in being involved in it. Um, Do you want to let me know an album that you really rate, an Australian album that you rate from the last 10 years in Australian punk? The well, I, I guess we already touched on it, but the one that kind of like the the one that I guess I'd pick would be UV Race Homo, just because mm. it was the one that like I was, the, there was a couple of records around that same time as well, like Straight Arrow, Straight Arrows, it's happening, and mm. um, it was like a straight jacket record. It's like it was probably around that time where, it, and even just like Holy Bomb and stuff. That might was, have been slightly... That was like a really magical time for music. Like, yeah, for yeah, sure. Like 2011? Was it 2011? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also I'd just like fucked off from my home and moved to Geelong and like got like a new kind of like all my friends in Geelong were into music, which yeah. I hadn't had that experience before. So it, it was definitely like a, a nice time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So right. for me, it would be, yeah, right. Homo, UV. I mean, if I was to pick something... Not on art that we haven't talked about already. Look, the first thing that's come into mind already is that first Orb demo tape. I remember I got the the tape of that and I had a car with a cassette player at the time and I just played that just day in, day out and turned it really loud and just the guitar sound on that, it was all recorded, I'm guessing it was recorded analogue and it was like these nice old amps. I think it was recorded by Mikey, wasn't it? Or was that the album? The album was recorded by Mikey. The first one, I don't know who recorded it. Maybe just uh... I actually liked the that more than their debut album and i hadn't really got into i hadn't really listened to a lot of you know modern you know sort of sabbath reworking type stuff sabbath hawk windy stone whatever you want to call it that kind of shit it had its own original spin on it but i remember just like every song i fucking loved and every like the sound of it i loved it and driving to it was perfect and I haven't yeah. listened to it. I've got to give it a listen. Oh, it's. I think yeah, the Orb demo tape is um, mm. you know, my favorite, and it's not punk, but it's you know, it's rock, rock music of that This kind. isn't a yeah. This this yeah. this podcast. modern Australian underground. Exactly, bridge. exactly. Yeah. And yeah. at the time, I'm open to that was. And at, yeah, and of course they've gone oh, yeah, on to do Orb like. Yeah, because Orb got big. Kinda. They got big. They got signed to Flightless, and they right. obviously moved into a, you know, their music has progressed quite a lot away from where they started. But yeah. that was on was that on Heavy Chains, the yeah. Tasmanian, the Tasmanian metal yeah. label. That, yeah, that label's cool. Other yeah. things, I mean, Forty Fives that I really loved was a Tommy T single, that Raw Prawn single, Raw Prawn single that it should have been, and they recorded an album. I've got some of the songs that yeah. um, Chris, the I can't remember. I can't remember. It was no, ages ago fine. since I played. But, um, like, I mean, you're reminding me of all these old bands that I haven't listened to in ages, but, like, yeah. Yeah. it was just, like, such a good time for music. Yeah, like yeah. the two Housewives 7 Inches. Mm. I don't know. So many good bands at that point. Yeah, yeah. But then, you know, when you, like, hear, like, talk about and watch a doco or go to, a uh, like, a little talk about punk in 77 and there's always these, like, People are like, oh, pe- people just don't understand that in 77, it just like, it didn't happen like that. Like, <laughs> it doesn't happen like that anymore. It's like, 
It's still shut d- up. yeah, it still it still does, <laughs> and it would and it still happens now. Like it's you well, I know, I think it's people not being able to look outside their bubble, and it's just because it's not happening in your community, it doesn't mean it's not happening. It's yeah, like, just because yeah. there aren't DIY shows that I know of, doesn't mean there aren't DIY 100%. shows. Hundred you know? percent. It's like in my age bracket, and for me, 2012 was like this golden era. Mm. But it's like I'm looking at it in rose-colored glasses, yeah, and like I'm romanticizing the past. Like it's still mm. ha- well, actually shows. <laughs> Shows aren't happening at the moment, but like they will again soon. <laughs> they and, are starting you know. to happen again. Standing on the edge of like 2020, being through all the things that you've been through in like the last like 10, 15, whatever years. Do you have any expectations of 2021 in terms of like what's going to happen with shows? I just have mm. no, no or expectations. Music? At all. I have yeah. no idea. Hopefully, like some more like daytime outside shows would be nice. Yeah. I don't know. I'm like, I miss more just like hanging out in a beer garden or whatever. Like, it's the actual, I don't know. Shows are nice, but. I would love, like, even yeah. just like backyard shows. Like, it's yeah. just like, I miss I that. Is yeah. like so it good. used to happen so frequently. I and I haven't been to yeah. a backyard show or like hiring out a hall or something or like, I haven't been to one of those shows in ages. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I definitely miss it. I just, yeah, for me personally, I'm, you know, probably at a different point than most people because I was so involved with the tote booking life. Yeah. Upwards of 15 shows a week for seven years. Mm. I've just, I've absolutely had a gutful. Yeah. You're and I don't want to get involved in, with any shows. And I don't, I personally just, I mean, I'm, I'm, there's going to be, you know, a lot of venues and bands are going to be working really hard in order to try and find ways to make shows work. And, all of that, but I just think personally, I can't really be a part of it at the moment. I just want to like plan, have band practice. Don't, I don't want to have to think about playing shows. I just want to look after my kid and find a new job outside jam of the with music your friends. industry. Jam with the band. The yeah. Friends, yeah, I reckon band practice is always like, it's always it's, the best part of it. Or I've never been like fuck. I got to band practice. Maybe in the morning I have been like, God damn, I've been like, got to work all day and then go to band practice. And then the second I walk in, I'm like, what's up? Yeah, it's always fun. <laughs> No, Did you want cool. to talk about the best shows we've ever seen? One was the Oily Boys show when they supported Gutter Gods for their album launch upstairs at the Tote in 2014, right. uh, March 2014. Did I you, just Did you see the Gutter God show? I know you're talking about Oily Boys, but yeah. did you see the Gutter God show upstairs at the Gasso, the Gasso mm. where uh, Singer Man um, just didn't show up for yeah. ages oh. and they just did this Hawkwind kind of jam? Yeah, yeah, for yeah. That one was sick. That was unreal. Mm. But they did. So when I just started booking the tote, there was this Cool Death Christmas party, which was the one that ended <laughs> up with that Wild West brawl where I, I think one of the, I think Matt's, someone from the bar staff got into a bingle with Tommy T and it ended up with security guards like throwing punches and people diving over tables and throwing bar stools everywhere and the whole thing. And at the time, the owners were like, that scene is not coming back. Fuck them. They're yeah. not coming back. And I was just like, I had just sort of come from the gasso, working in the kitchen at the gasso, and that had just like, closed down and so it's like you know december 2013 and the gasso had closed in in october and I, what i really wanted to do was to make sure that that gasso sort of singing sort of had came to the tote and so i had to fight tooth and nail to let them know that you know we could make this shit work and it was worthwhile yeah out of our way and we sat down and i think snoop and i who was at the the venue manager and i sat down with i think bradford and Kirks. Coco, Coco yeah and, and maybe tommy i don't know and just sort of sat down and said look let's we'll work this out um, and so we did, and that's what is, that's why Magnet Fest came to the tote and all that kind of stuff. But so three, three months after that, the first show, the next show they wanted to do was the God of God's album launch, which was their last show, and Oily, Oily Boys came down to play. And so I'd been on dialysis for a long time and sort of out of the hardcore scene. I'd been out of the hardcore scene for a long time and not really – I just lost it. You know, and I just didn't really give two shits about it. 
But I just started going to see shows again and saw that 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 this hardcore stuff was that remember that psychedelic hardcore that was going on and every band was like As velvet wings, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> chuck a phaser pedal on and go for it, yeah. And there was like you know velvet weep and sim fuckers and all that kind of stuff. Oh, that oily fuck. boys show just like completely blew my mind. I, I just could not believe what I just seen. Right. It was so unhinged and wild and loose and everything. And you know that band can be a bit hit or miss, but when they hit, it's like absolutely blinding white light good and they were that night yeah the other one was justin fuller playing a solo set at the upstairs of the terry no ah. this was liberty social right and i think some bands had played <laughs> and he was he was last but there was sort of a younger dance crowd had come come in and he was doing his thing where he was getting that really pounding techno thing going yeah and then the crowd would get all dancing and stuff and then he would just go and just go white noise <laughs> <laughs> and confuse the hell out of them. All that just corrupted data sort of sound, you know. Yeah. And they'd just be like, they'd stop there stunned. Yeah. And then he'd sort of, you know, for, for like a minute. And then he'd get, get the beat going again and get them all dancing again. And right when they – his time, it was like comic timing was perfect. Right when they were all like getting into it, he'd just go, boom, white noise again. Yeah. <laughs> and they'd sort of stop, you know. And he got, he got it like three or four times. He suckered them right in and just punished them, tripped them over. It was great. What about you? I don't know. Uh, like, kind of recently, I guess, um, Jay McFarlane's reality guest at Golden Plains was good because I was kind of just, like, it was in the morning and... That was they, really nice. It was amazing. They were, like, so good. And, I was um, the, the highlight of my weekend. Parsnip played and I got a good video of Jake dancing side of stage to Parsnip. <laughs> got to spot the team. What else? I don't know. Like... Like, even though I joined this band after, but, like, the first time I saw Frowning Clouds, I was, like, very, very into it, just because it was the first time I'd seen a band play garage music without having any punk influence whatsoever. I went to see the Dirt Bombs and at Oxford Art Factory, and um, Straight Arrows Owen... Straight Arrows opened, ugh, and... um. And Angie, who was the bass player, just didn't show up, so they just got someone else to really? play bass who did not know the songs. Yeah. It was a mess, but it was cool. And also me being maybe 18 or so, that was like a, a an eye-opener. The best shows almost always outside of like, you know, like you don't want to go to a show and see G3 or something like you know these like Buckethead and Joe Satriani wanking each other but like when a band like I I think this is why like UB Race really kind of like hit it with me it's like they almost fall apart and bands like another band that unfortunately never recorded an album the, the Clits they were amazing mm. probably at the time when you were in America more they were like had the kind of uh, you know, jangly go-betweens kind of sound, like early, early go-betweens kind of sound, but they fell apart and also they would just get on, like, in fisticuffs on stage. Like, they would get in fights on stage. Yeah. It was this like, it's funny kind how of jangly I, I, music. Yeah, I, I'm, I missed out on so much being overseas. There was just, like, so much amazing stuff that came through. Yeah. I don't, for me personally, it, it probably, like, to, when did you leave? Like, 2004? I remember you came 2015. to 2015. You came to my house, like, the day or two before you left. Yeah, I remember, because Lumpy sent me a record. Um, The Gibbous record, and... I yeah, remember being like, oh, let's, we should hang out soon. You're like, I'm getting out of here. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Bye.
that concludes the conversation I had with Jake and Rich. Thanks so much to both of them for coming in. And as we come to the end of the show, I want to remind you that if you have any questions, an event, new release, or an interesting topic you want to raise in line with the modern Australian underground, you can hit me up at litmus.media. Subscribe and leave a review if you feel inclined. And don't forget to stay tuned. You can listen to Modern Australian Underground at litmus.media or wherever you get your podcasts. On a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at fifty dollars, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/style for free shipping and three hundred and sixty-five day returns.